You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house, by the way, on Wednesday, January 10th. And I'm telling you, it already feels like this year has gone on for months. It doesn't help the fact that probably my two biggest issues are immigration, the federal judiciary, and the mixture of the two. It's the subject of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. And they are both coming to the forefront now. So I've been working around the clock, both trying to put out content, keep you guys up to date, make the case for American sovereignty for the forgotten men when no one else wants to make it, and also really talking with some, some members of Congress, some people in the administration, and just trying to get our voices heard. Those of us who aren't illegal immigrants, those of us who are citizens and just want our nation back, we're sick of the crime. We're sick of the culture changes. We're sick of the fiscal problems. We're sick of being ignored. We're sick of America becoming a dumping ground. And it's hard work. It really is hard work because you're just basically shouting into an empty pit. And even the few people that agree with you, you know, they just feel very helpless. So a lot of a lot of members of Congress are reaching out to me how to kick the courts out of immigration, what other reforms to make, working with them on that, but wanted to kind of go round robin, explain what's going on wrapped into our thesis for today, which is illegal alien supremacism plus judicial supremacism is our collapse of Rome. That's our equivalent of the collapse of Rome. That is a kill shot on this country, each one independently in the mixture of the two. The fact that everything's about illegals, everything's about flooding the country, not about the citizenry. A society can't recover from that. And a society cannot recover from judicial supremacism where not only are the courts elevated above the other branches of government, but they're elevated to the status of a king, to the status of God, where they can make denizens of aliens, where they can make men of women, literally, where they can make a non-marriage from a marriage. You know, before we get to immigration, just yesterday, the Fourth Circuit once again nullified North Carolina's second congressional map that they rewrote because they nullified their first and they made this even more advantageous to the Democrats. But it wasn't enough because the courts have codified whatever the DNC wants to do in terms of map drawing. That's what you have to do. You can't recover from that. You know, everyone's going to talk about Bannon, the soap opera every second. Like we talked about last, uh, we lamented about, I mean, last uh, episode. Talk about Oprah, talk about this, talk about that. Even other policy issues don't matter until and unless the stolen sovereignty is dealt with. The stealing of national sovereignty, but also the stealing of individual sovereignty, the right to self-governorship, and also the mixture of the two. 
The fact that the unelected courts are making the decisions to unilaterally bring in and grant amnesty and grant benefits to those who are literally raping this country. They violate this country, unilaterally assert jurisdiction, get standing to demand benefits and social security cards, driver's licenses, work permits and visas, and the courts treat us like the criminals. So Obama's a criminal, violates our sovereignty, Trump comes in there and merely rescinds it, one San Francisco judge could say, that's it, and apply it nationwide and done. So, you know, we're raggling... First of all, the wrangling is all over legislative amnesty. It's all about amnesty, not about us, not about true immigration reform, not about the urgency and emergency to deal with our issues. It's all about a DACA fix, a DACA fix. But the truth be told, even that doesn't matter much because of judicial amnesty. If you don't address what the courts are doing on immigration, nothing matters anyway. They are now saying that everyone has a right to come here, and those who come here illegally have a right to stay, and they must stay and must be allowed to stay, and a president cannot follow, um, you know, like that thing called the law. So there's a lot going on here, and this is a time to be to be counted on. This is a time for everyone to stand up be, and be counted upon and to make your calls to your members of Congress and say, no amnesty, not now, not ever. You're going to fix immigration for us. You're going to fix the courts on immigration and really on every other issue. You're going to finally assert congressional control over jurisdiction and kick the federal courts, at least the lower courts, out of these issues. At least prevent the nationwide injunction nonsense. But let's unpack what's going on. So everyone's talking about you know Trump's comments yesterday where he appeared to echo, validate, and legitimize every false assumption. And he said he was going to fight false assumptions. Every false assumption and premise and focus and priority of the left on immigration. He literally called, oh yeah, I, I do DACA, it's a bill of love. Now he's walking it back. But he literally called it a bill of love. I'm sorry, that's a bill of hate. It's time that Trump issue a threat of a veto of love, a threat to veto any budget bill that not only ensures that amnesty is kept out, but defunds the issuance of amnesty to get around the courts, to defund sanctuary cities, defunds the diversity visa lottery, defunds chain migration, and defunds visa, the issuance of visas from terrorist countries. It's time, to, it's time to actually use his power. Instead, he goes off message. Now, I'm not too worried about him passing just you know straight-up amnesty right now. I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really worried about legislative amnesty. I'm worried about, A, judicial amnesty, and I'm worried about that Trump is just going to feel the pressure and continue the executive amnesty. In other words, even if they win on appeal and, you know, the the Supreme Court eventually shuts down this lower court judge, lifts the injunction, and you know they stop renewing the amnesty. But come March, he'll he'll just do it. It won't be green cards, but he'll at least continue this because he's not following through. And this is what is so frustrating with him. He touches on our issues more than anyone else in recent memory, and then he just goes back on you every single time. Really frustrating.
there is a broader problem in the priorities and the messaging and the focus. Everything is about what we can do for illegals, not what we can do for Americans. There's a lot of emergencies with the MS-13 crisis. You know, one of my articles, I'm going to link to a lot of my immigration articles in the show notes. We have a lot of content out this week. Click on my name and you could see the archive of articles at CR. But if you look at what's going on, and by the way, I'm going to make this case also a Mark Levin show tonight if you wind up hearing this before the show, um, Wednesday night show. But anyway, border crossings have doubled since the spring. Now, just to be clear, I'm not exaggerating here. The overall levels of illegal immigration across the border are pretty much back to where the, you know the average. It's not beyond the average. But the point is the trajectory is the problem and what it portends and what it tells you. It's because in the first few months of Obama of Trump's presidency, the numbers plummeted to record lows. And it's clearly a function of messaging. The messaging has gone out to the smuggling world that the days of America not enforcing their sovereignty are over. But then what happened was when Trump started equivocating, oh, DACA, I love them. They're great people. They're so productive. They're the most amazing people on earth. Well, I want security. I want to take care of chain migration, but we do have to do DACA, 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 DACA. Well, you know, the message goes out that, well, maybe the guy's a paper tiger. But particularly, the message has gone out that as long as you come here with a kid, we will not deport you. The courts will mandate release from detention. You'll be united with your family here, and then the parents will get amnesty. So not only do we have anchor babies that erroneously could come here, rape us, violate our sovereignty, and demand citizenship, and everyone treats it as if it's a given from the Constitution when it, the opposite is true. See Chapter 4 on my, in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, the most comprehensive, legal, philosophical, and just general policy case, historical case, against um, unqualified, unconditional birthright citizenship. But now it's we have anchor teenagers. As long as you come with you know, a kid under 16 or something, you're here to stay. You're done. So guess what happened? There's overall, overall, there's been a massive increase, almost double, over 200% since the nadir of the flow in April. April is when it really went down. And then every month since April, it's gone up and up and up and up. And now it's back to normal Obama era levels. But what's even more concerning is that unaccompanied alien children, UACs and family units, those are the key. So not single adult illegals, it's either single children or family units have just gone bonkers since April. The number of UACs crossing has gone up 342%. The number of family units have, has gone up 583%. This is the emergency. And by the way, who are these children? They're mainly from Central America, El Salvador. May I say MS-13? 30% of those housed in detention facilities from the UACs have ties to gangs. And we're seeing this across the country. And what caused it? It was DACA. 
that caused it. It caused the Central American border flow. And now at a time when it's resur- there's a resurgence and there's an emergency, we need a DACA fix. We absolutely need a DACA fix. We need to fix the problems created by DACA by ending DACA, ending the vicious, endless cycle of amnesty. It's not just the 1986 amnesty. We've had six large-scale amnesties, sometimes up to 1.2 million people in the case of the Nicaraguan amnesty, but six large-scale amnesties from 1994 to 2000, as well as many many mini-amnesties since then. Parole, advanced parole, TPS, all this stuff. And then our refugee and asylum policy, which completely violates statute, which is no different than one big amnesty program. Hundreds of thousands pouring in with asylum claims. Turning America into a dumping ground. It's just, it, it, this whole thing is disgusting. And yet, nothing. You know, there's an article out, out there, and if you haven't seen it, I'll link to it in show notes from NBC. They did a segment on Russian birth tourism. So I know it's not politically correct to talk about the impoverished Central Americans. So, so they're, oh, of course, they have a right to come here, drop a baby, and they're American citizen. There's not a darn thing we can do about it. Okay, fine. But you have wealthy Russians, as well as other countries, but they, you know, they did a profile on Russians that come here on birth tourism. And they just have a baby entitled to American citizenship. That kid could get welfare. And when the kid's 21, they could bring in the rest of the family. And there's not a darn thing we could supposedly do about And what's amazing is the media, when they were covering it, when they were covering it, they said it as a given. And it's totally constitution. The constitution demands it. It says anyone born here. What's amazing is that they cut off the citizenship clause and forget this second stipulation. Born here and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. If you are here on a temporary tourist visa, if you are here without our permission, you are not subject to our jurisdiction. You cannot unilaterally assert jurisdiction without consent from the society. That is the most bedrock concept and principle of governance. That's a kill shot on our country. And of course, they come here, affect our census, are counted in the census, distort our reapportionment. It's illegal alien supremacism. You, You know, one of the good members of Congress texted me last night, and he said to me, you know, I'm looking at my colleagues, this alacrity, this clamor, this urgency and obsession about giving stuff to illegal aliens. When have we ever seen this for Americans? This, more than anything, is emblematic of our broken political system. You know, we have left and right. We argue in this country, I want these priorities, I want this policy, I want that. But should we all agree that America's sovereignty and security and civil society should come before, even if you agree in the abstract at the right time, of some sort of amnesty agenda? Even if you agree, even if you're a liberal. But shouldn't this be a given? Shouldn't this be the imperative and the amnesty the elective? This, the main course, and the amnesty, the dessert? This, what comes first, and the the latter, what comes later? Given that you might believe in amnesty, but it is not the job of the government, and especially when the amnesty is what caused the grievances to Americans. 
how much more so do you have an obligation to address the fixes on immigration for Americans before amnesty? And especially when we've tried this and we've only tried this in the past and we've never tried enforcement and fixing immigration first for America. And yet we have no one to give voice to this. Every once in a while, Trump kind of says, says this, and then he just voids it out by saying the opposite. So we, we really have no one giving voice to this. There's something wrong here. There's something so fundamentally wrong. It's just so scary. It is so scary. What is it going to take? You know, we had two terrorist attacks from chain migration and diversity lottery. We should get this stuff for free. It's not like, okay, let's pass amnesty now, and then we'll talk about other things later. Wait, wait a minute. This is stuff we should all agree to as a standalone, irrespective of what you believe on amnesty. This shouldn't be held hostage because of the amnesty agenda, even if you believe in it, even if you support it. We are, ob- we are owed this. You know, the Secure Fence Act, the, 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 the wall is not Trump's wall. It's the Jim DeMint wall, actually, from 2006. Originally, 850 miles of double-layered fencing with a security lane in between. 850 miles. Only 36 miles of that has been completed. Don't, don't get confused by these other measures. They say we have 600-whatever mile, miles of fencing. That means, like, picket fencing or even, like, uh, vehicular barriers that aren't you know you could walk right over it so this is the problem and by the way the numbers i gave you i'm sorry if i misspoke on you know illegal immigration numbers across the border these are apprehensions it's not i mean there is no measure of of how you know how many they catch um you know in the past border patrol has estimated they believe their interdiction rate is maybe 50 60 percent um but who knows so it could be a lot more. And then, of course, the people that overstay our visas, because we still don't have visa tracking, even though that was promised in the IRA legislation 21, 21 years ago. But yet we still have to beg for this. This is pure nonsense. So this is bad enough. And, and by the way, by the way, I just wanted to get into this. You know, Center for Immigration Studies has a piece out on this today, but um, I, I already told you about it because you know, DOJ has all the data. They put out the data that 44% of all federal criminal convictions over the last few years have been from non-citizens. Now, granted, a good part of that is immigration itself, which is automatically federal. And by the way, that in itself you know, Jared Kushner is out there pushing jailbreak. That's a whole other thing I don't have time to get into. Just so you know, what I'm hearing from people inside government is that Trump's, Trump rolls his eyes at it, and he's not biting. It's kind of like, okay, Jared, go work on your project. But, I mean, Grassley is planning on marking up a bill and judiciary on this. So, you know, I'm not worried about Trump alone, but when he put Jared together with Grassley and Cornyn and, and certainly the Democrats there, this is a big problem. Mike Lee signed on to it. But... They, they, they complain, our federal prison is too many people. All the liberals, th- 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 there's this whole jailbreak movement from the libertarians and the liberals. Wait a minute. 44% of the convictions and 31 or 33% of the federal prison population is comprised of non-citizens. Just deport them. For, l- let's first save money and space by deporting them. Then we could discuss 
if there are still too many people in federal prison. That, I mean, it's not a majority, but that's a pretty big chunk. And the tragedy of this is, the tragedy here, and, and by the way, I'm sorry I interrupted, I got, got lost in, in my train of thought there. So even if you take out immigration violations and immigration um, convictions, so they still represent an outsized share of their population. They still represent 21.5% of the federal crimes. That's 2.5 times larger than their share of the population. Um, 42.4% of federal kidnapping convictions, 42% of federal kidnapping convictions are from non-citizens, mainly illegals, of course. 31.5% of drug convictions, 22.9% of money laundering, 17.8% of larceny, and even 8.9% of homicides, which is slightly more than their share of the adult population, which is 8.4%. Total immigrant population is is closer to 13%, um, but that includes you – because know, there's so many minors, the trajectory is you know, obviously – for the future is is very young on on the immigrant population and but but this is only looking at the adult population relative to um the american population so the amazing thing here is i've said this before the number of crimes committed the number of criminal aliens we should have in this country is zero or you know as close to zero as as possible and the reason why I say that is because immigration is elective. Now, you can't choose your Americans, but you could choose your immigrants. Don't bring them in. But that's not all. Let's say you make a mistake. Sometimes people you know, turn out to be bad. That's fine. That's why we have this probationary period of where you come in conditionally as a non-immigrant visa first, or maybe you come in right away as an LPR, but you're an LPR, legal permanent resident, you get a green card, you don't get citizenship. You wait about seven years. And we see if you have good behavior. And if you don't have good behavior, you're out of here. Again, these numbers aren't talking about immigrants, meaning those who are already naturalized citizens. You know, once you're naturalized, you're naturalized. There's not nothing we can do about that. We can't deport you. You're like anyone else that you're just subject to the criminal convictions of a, of a regular American, obviously. But, but I'm talking about those that don't have citizenship. They should all be out of here. We shouldn't have anyone doing money laundering and drugs and even DUIs, I'd say, much less the more serious issues of kidnapping and murder and rape. We shouldn't have that. Yet no one's even discussing, let's immediately deport them. Everyone's like, don't deport families. Let's focus on the criminals. Okay, let's focus on the criminals. Let's deport the, you know... Whatever, 30,000, 40,000 criminal aliens that are in prison. There's really a lot more. There's hundreds of thousands of them. Those are just the convictions. Number of arrests are, it's, 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 uh, it's estimated there's about 2.3 million illegal and legal criminal aliens. Remove them all. Why, why should that, why should we even have to fight for that? And even after fighting for it, we're not getting it. And yet, not only aren't we getting it, the courts, 
one after another are just ripping out criminal code, ripping out immigration law, and saying, oh, this is not a significant enough crime to deport them for. No. Rapists and murderers, Iraqi immigrants in, in Michigan, Judge Mark Goldsmith saying, no, you can't deport them. Illegal alien supremacism. We would never do this for Americans. Yet they're becoming a special class. It's almost like they're on par with the LGQF, whatever, you know, the sexual identity soup in terms of their special treatment in this society and our body politic. It's just absolutely disgusting. Just utterly disgusting. So that's that. I have two more things I want to get to, and we're, gosh, we're rapidly running out of time here. And by the way, I don't know why I have an urge to just emote about this now, but just to digress before we finish up our immigration discussion here. you know, j- Just as an example of another policy of how government is not responsive to us, it's not of and by and for the people. You know, just as it relates to domestic policy, even not dealing with foreign nationals, talk about transportation policy. And this is actually not random because it's going to come soon because this is another issue where both Trump and now most Republicans and Democrats are on the same side of this federal transportation policy rather than devolving it to the states and local communities, which is where it belongs. So you don't have this federal level just one-size-fits-all mandate where it's not responsive to what people want to spend their money on. And, you know, I don't, again, this this is just randomly coming up because I'm re-shopping around for, uh, for auto insurance, just trying to get a better rate. And, you know, I met this nice lady who's, uh, who's serving as the broker, and she's very helpful. She, she just wanted to know, hey, do you have any, any claims, any accidents? And I was thinking to myself, well, I, I don't remember any accidents. And then I looked up my, uh, my, my record with Geico, and I said, oh, 2014. Oh, that's right. That's when my wife, um, you know, because I didn't consider it an accident. It was a nothing burger. But basically, she was going to pick up our youngest son from Playgroup on a snow day. It might have even been an early dismissal, snow and ice that day. And it was kind of a narrow street, and she was going very slow. It was starting to get bed out during the storm. And she skidded and just slided very lightly, tapped into an MTA, Maryland Transit, Transit mini, like one of these mini buses. Um, and, you know, you can imagine she was going like eight miles an hour. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Um, scratches, if anything, the Corolla was damaged a lot more than the minibus because, you know, a Corolla having a head-on from the MTA bus from the back. And, you know, whatever, my wife gave, gave, gave the guy, the bus driver, the information and it, whatever. And I, I forgot about it at the time, but now I remember a little bit what happened, but I didn't know the claims because you never see it. You know, insurance just claims and your rates go up a little bit. And so anyway, this new broker was looking into because I kind of, you know, poo-pooed. I was like, yeah, there was some little thing. She's, you know, that was a $13,000 claim. I was like, what the heck? And then she said it was $9,000 for bodily injury. And now I remember my wife telling me that, yeah, the guy was starting to say I was injured, even though at the time, I mean, so I, I just want you to guys, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but here you have a Corolla tapping a minibus at eight miles an hour from the back. And the guy says he has $9,000 in bodily injury. 
So here I am, and you know the politics of, I've told you this before, Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore suburbs. We basically pay for the news to hang ourselves. Nobody uses these stupid public transportation here. I understand there's parts of the country, based on the habits and the culture, it, it works for them. But here, no normal person in this neighborhood does it. Everyone has two cars. It's not wealthy. It's typical middle class. Everyone has two cars. Nobody uses the stupid public transportation. Yet they bring their crappy jalopies down our narrow streets. They had no business being there. And their one purpose of existence is, A, to bring in crime. We pay for the news to hang ourselves. And then, B, file $9,000 claims for a scratch on the fender, a bodily injury, and milk, milk everyone. Stupid government worker there. And I was thinking to myself, this is, again, it's like, this is the problem when you have federal transportation policy when they divert 20% of funding from highway and bridges to mass transit, which is parochial. That's not universal. Depends on the community. And that should, that's why transportation needs to be developed to the states. But again, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to you know when transportation infrastructure heats up more. But I just want to give this as, as an example of how government is not responsive to us. We no longer live in a, in a republic. But that's in the weeds. Could we at least agree as it relates to favors and social security cards and welfares and, and benefits for illegals that, like, dude, we're going to take care of Americans first? But yet we have a San Francisco judge that declares DACA the law of the land. Now, as you all know, Obama's amnesty was the most lawless act in the history of – certainly in the modern era because there's nothing quite as lawless as a president conferring – affirmative benefits, including social security cards, on foreign nationals that pursuant to the most foundational and established statutes have to be deported, right? That is a violation of the whole of the sovereignty. I can't think of a way to even exaggerate or compare with an analogy. You know, let's say a president would say, I don't like the tax laws and I'm going to unilaterally uh, request that the treasury deduct 10% less in taxes from American workers, Sounds crazy, right? Well, that's not nearly as radical because at least that's dealing with Americans. Here you're, you're conferring rights and refundable tax credits on illegal aliens, on illegal aliens. And yet there's one level of radicalism to say a president could do that. Here the judge said that Trump must do it. And yet no pushback. I tried to speak with people at DOJ today. And I said to them, wait a minute, I have two comments I want to make on this case before we move on to the Goodlatte bill, which I want to get to. Two comments here. Number one, so we talked about this nationwide injunction that not only have the courts decided public policy issues and they make themselves the final say and they twist the Constitution, statutes, settled case law up and down, it's inside out, beyond imaginable. But they're applying their royal edicts outside of the cases or controversy or even the geographical jurisdiction of those respective districts and circuits, and they're applying it nationwide. So in an instant, the, all the left has to do is to shop around to any one of the craziest district judges within the crazy circuits where they're automatically going to win the first two rounds and for months lock up the most basic policies of a Congress or a president. And it, it makes no sense. And part of that comes in here. See, 
I brought this up during the travel ban when I said, wait a minute, what if 90 district judges would throw out the ACLU's lawsuit and say, that, that's bogus. Of course the president could do this. But one says, no, it's a problem, and therefore we're going to put a nationwide injunction. You mean to tell me, again, even allowing for judicial supremacy, the courts are the law of the land, but outside of his district, outside of that case, binding nationwide, how could that be? It makes Philosophically, it makes no sense because a president doesn't have the option of unilaterally, preemptively ratifying his policy at a court. And, you know, if, if he would, if he would go to the right places, he would he would get it and put a nationwide, you know, ratification on it, kosher stamp of approval. So how could this work? And indeed, in the case of the travel ban, you had a Massachusetts judge who's like, dismiss the lawsuit. This is totally lawful. It's totally fine. But it didn't matter, according to our stupid institutionalist legal system. But this is a step further because here you have Judge Hannon in Texas and and, and even further, the Fifth Circuit ruled the same way. So you have an entire circuit ruled on DAPA which is the exact same thing just for a slightly different population of people and for reasons that are a little bit in the weeds. It's actually an even stronger case that DACA is unlawful because there's no fam- familial ties or whatever, several other factors. Um, basically, the, the judge said put a nationwide injunction on doing it, meaning you are prohibited from doing it. With the trial ban, it's like, well, you could not let them in or you could let them in. And one, another judge says, no, you can't let them in. Here, one judge is saying – you can't do give them permits and social security cards. Another one is saying you have to. Well, which one do you listen to? This is what's so stupid about it. And this is a proof that it's wrong. He should assert Judge Hannon's ruling in the Constitution statute and say this is nonsense. But of course, they're going to go to, you know, whatever. Which leads me to my next thing. A lot of people think, oh, come on, Dan, this, the Supreme Court will, won't let this stand. And you know what? Something this radical, they probably won't. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. It creates a political public opinion and jurisprudential velocity, and it, and it, it becomes legitimate now. Here's what happens with the courts. First of all, they're doing it in the craziest circuit, so they're going to win the appeal. So you have to wait till the final round of the Supreme Court. And even the Supreme Court and the travel ban case proves it. Here's what, here's what they do. Here's what they do. They go and, on the one hand, they do split the baby. They don't even categorically reject it. And then even on the half that they take off the injunction, and they say, no, this is, you know, the lower courts overstep their boundaries. They allow it to go through, but they don't nullify and put a stop to the, to the merits case. So, for example, what happened with the travel ban, oh, you know, everyone thinks, oh, the Supreme Court slapped them down. No, they didn't. They indulged it. Um, none of it's legitimate. They, they, first of all, on non-bonafide ties, they completely kept the nationwide injunction. And that's more than half the cases because, because of chain migration, remember, most of these people have family ties. So they get standing to sue and they get the status. So that's, that's the injunction's on. But even for those without you know, bona fide ties that they lifted the injunction, the merits case is still going through. And the Ninth Circuit ruled with the ACLU. It's been almost 12 months and Trump cannot assert a basic foundational sovereignty, security, Article 2 and Article 1 
delegated authority to Article 2 power pursuant to an uninterrupted stream of case law. This is insane. So don't tell me, oh, the Supreme Court's going to save us. And then, you know, they'll slow down the courts. They'll rein the lower courts in a little bit. But then that entirety, see, they're not going to allow DACA to be the law of the land, but they are going to keep the premise of illegal aliens getting standing to sue for to, to sue for benefits. This case, they'll say, yeah, they went a little bit too far, but they'll just pick off. So it's like I got 90% of what I wanted, and then the 10% they come back for later, and they come back the next round of litigation, and they start with the 90. They start in a much stronger position because now it's codified. Now it's legitimized. You can never go backwards. I just got rid of 90% of plenary power doctrine, 90% of settled case law. That's not a victory. I told you guys this before. Our people are being fooled by this. If we don't fix this, we have a major problem. Anyway, we're about out of time. I don't want my analysis on the Goodlap bill to get lost. I'm going to try to do a separate podcast on that. Um, basically, it, it, it's a worthwhile compromise. It, it's, it gives DACA non-immigrant renewable work visas in return for the RAISE Act, um, asylum reform, UAC reform, uh, Davis Oliver, Sanctuary Cities, a lot of good stuff. On net, it would be worth it, but I am a little bit concerned about some pol- – about it, depend- it, de- it all depends on the way they're going to message it and how- their negotiation tactic with this. What is behind it? And I don't know the answer to that yet because I really don't trust Goodlatte. Um, even though this is a generally a pretty good bill, although I don't agree to the premise of ever doing amnesty, we don't need to even be discussing this. Nonetheless, if you were to give me a bill like this and then pass and enact it into law, yeah, I'll take it. It's definitely worth, you know, the amnesty to shut down chain migration. If you know, it's 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 limited. Um, they don't allow people with even DUIs or identity fraud to apply. It's much more stricter than Obama's implementation of DACA, but. You know, let me know your thoughts. I am concerned about some of the messaging, and there are a couple things I would do to make it stronger. Um, but we will discuss that later. Anyway, I need your help. I need your ideas. I can't do this alone. Uh, make sure you get your CRT TV subscription. You'll want to hear Mark Levin is on fire philosophically on this issue. Nobody else at that level. Um, you know, among the big talk show hosts is actually speaking philosophically about immigration, what it should look like. He's been amazing. I'll be on a show later tonight. Um, and like I said, we're going to cover a lot more of this. I just, I'm just running out of air and I don't, I don't want this analysis to get lost. So watch for my articles on it. We'll link to it in show notes. Fasten your seatbelts folks and give a prayer to the Lord because this is for the future of our country. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.